Good morning again. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. This morning. So uh, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open to Ephesians 4. If you don't have a Bible, you are welcome to use one of the Bibles in the pew racks that um, are in front of you. What we are doing this fall is we're working our way through a series on the New Testament letter uh, to the Ephesians. Uh, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, who was a church planter, pastor, uh, and he uh, would follow up with churches by writing letters, um, Ephesians being one of the examples of that. Uh, what is specific to this letter is that Paul wrote while he was in prison. He was in prison because of his faith in Jesus, which is remarkable. Um, we're actually going to see that come out a little bit in this morning's passage. Uh, but what we've said throughout this series by way of introduction is that uh, what sets Ephesians apart from some of the other New Testament letters is that it is what we might call a circular letter. And what that means is that it was not written uh, with a specific purpose or context in mind. Uh, it was more generic. It was a general letter that was intended uh, to be circulated among the various churches in Ephesus and the surrounding region. Uh, the passage that we're going to uh, pick up with this morning is actually a transition uh, in the letter uh, itself, and we're going to talk more about why that is. But so far, what has been covered, you can think about it this way. In the first three chapters, Paul has told the story of God. He's told us about God's, what God is up to in the world, specifically in calling individuals to himself through faith in Jesus Christ, and then uh, bringing them into a family with people uh, of diverse stories and backgrounds. And we also learn about God's purpose, his intent for forming that people, that they might participate in his mission in the world. All right, let's look at the first six verses of chapter four. I'll go ahead and read those for us. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we pray that you would speak to us from your word this morning. We pray that you would give us a deeper understanding of the work of Jesus and its intention for us as your people. And we pray that you would do this as you are present with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know each and every person in this room this morning. You know our backgrounds, you know our diverse stories, you know the weeks that we've had, and you know whether in this moment we find ourselves believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what we believe. Wherever we are, Holy Spirit, pursue us. Bring the truth to bear uh, on our minds and our hearts in such a way that we're actually changed by it. We pray for the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So it's basketball season. Uh, basketball season uh, in recent, well, not recent years, but maybe going back 
four, five, six, seven years ago was not necessarily an exciting thing around here if you, were, if you are a Sixers fan. Uh, because the Sixers were tanking, uh, meaning that they were actually trying to lose games for many years there. And so I don't know if I would have necessarily been able to tell you some years whether basketball season had started because I was disinterested. But now that the Sixers have a legit team, uh, over the last few years, I know when basketball season starts. And one thing that I always look forward to at the start of the season and then again at the beginning of the playoffs is the Sixers organization releases a hype video. Have you, have you seen these hype videos in various sports that, that get released? The hype video is meant to do what? To hype you up, to get you excited for the season. And this uh, past season, uh, just a few weeks ago, the hype video that was released by the Sixers, the theme of it was... Philadelphia Unite. And um, the coach, Brett Brown, narrated this video, you know, showing, showing shots of the players playing, the, the crowd, all that sort of good stuff. But Brett Brown, throughout his narration, keeps touching on this theme that we are in this together, that we are united. By the time I, I was finished watching this video, I felt like I was on the team. I, I, I was hyped up. We know what it's like to be drawn into that kind of hype, don't we? especially along the lines of togetherness and unity. That there's something that is attractive to us about this idea of togetherness and unity. It's not just in the church, even outside of the church. We hear lots of talk about how important it is to be united, how important it is to be together. But here's the deal. It's easy to get hyped up about all of that, but the work to actually be together... The, the, the work to actually embody togetherness and be united, that's really, really hard. And so as we come to our passage this morning, Paul knows that. And, and I want you to keep in mind the context here, the context of Ephesians and, and the, the people who made up this church family. You see, these were people from diverse stories and backgrounds. You know, we've been emphasizing this, pointing it out throughout the series these aren't people who had a lot in common necessarily. And so when Paul writes this section and he's stressing the theme of togetherness and unity, we have to keep in mind that Paul is writing to people that didn't have much in common outside of Jesus. And so when you think about the work, I'll put it this way, the work of unity and the work of togetherness is hard even when you have pretty much everything in common with somebody, isn't it? It still can be hard. Now take into account when you don't have that same commonality, how hard it can be to uh, strive for unity and maintain unity. Well, that's the context here in Ephesians. And so as we look into this passage, uh, we're, we're going to explore this, this theme of unity and its implications for us. Look at verse 1 to begin with. Paul begins, I therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. This is remarkable. Uh, I, I can't remember if this is the second or third time. It might just be the second in which Paul has explicitly made mention of the fact that he is imprisoned as he writes this letter. And he makes it clear that from his perspective, his understanding, he is a prisoner for the Lord. Now, he's a prisoner for the Lord in the sense that He's imprisoned because of his faith in the Lord, his faith in Jesus. But Paul means more than that. He means that even his imprisonment, he is seeking to bring glory to Jesus. It is for Jesus in that sense. 
But I want, even before that phrase, prisoner of the Lord, he says, I therefore. Now, you know this um, just from general reading of literature. We're, we're taught this in school, that when you see that word therefore, it's a signal, right? It points us to what has come before. And so Paul, as he moves into this, this new section of the letter, he wants it to be understood that there is a connection to be made, a connection between what he's already written and what he's about to write. And verse 1 here in chapter 4 is really the main exhortation, the main command of not only this section, but perhaps the letter as a whole. And what is that command? What is that exhortation? I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk is a metaphor for moral living throughout uh, really the Bible as a whole. Uh, We've already uh, encountered this word walk in Ephesians. Um, Ephesians, Toward the end of Ephesians 2, we're commanded to walk in good works. And so it's not the first time that Paul is speaking in this way, but when you hear or see that word walk, It is meant to point us to moral living. Now, let me say this. I don't know how you hear that. When you hear me say moral living, I I don't know how that hits you, how it resonates with you. Uh, And what what I'm wondering is it, it might turn you off because when you hear moral living, you equate it with moralism, all right? There's a difference between moral living and moralism. Moral living is beautiful. Morality is beautiful. And and what we mean by morality and morals is that God has designed the world in such a way that he calls us to live, act, and think in certain ways that lead to human flourishing. That's beautiful. In other words, it's walking in step, in alignment with how God has made things to be. Moralism is not that. Moralism is taking the morals that are beautiful and saying, all right, I'm going to take these morals and I'm going to try to live by them in order to earn favor and acceptance with God or to prove that I'm better than others. And so what happens is we take something that's beautiful and we make it ugly. So when we talk about walking um, having to do with moral living, it's a beautiful thing. So I want you to think beauty, not ugliness, okay? Uh, That's important from the, the start of this passage. Walk is a metaphor for moral living. What is the calling that these Ephesians received? What is the calling that we have received? Because the the language here, it's really interesting. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is the calling to which we have been called? Well, remember that word, therefore. Everything that Paul has written up to this point, we are meant to connect with what he is now saying. What is that calling? Well, really, we can go back to Ephesians 1 from the start. And in Ephesians 1, we are brought into uh, the astonishing story that God is writing in the world. We learn things that um, even before the creation of the world, we were chosen by God, that we were predestined by him to be his children, to know him, to receive all of the benefits that come along with that. 
But also, in addition to that, because we have been made God's children, we have a purpose in the world. And that purpose is to reflect God's goodness and his glory to the world. In other words, God's people uh, who are brought into God's story are meant to uh, tell and embody that story to the world. But specifically in verse 10 of chapter 1, we learn this, that God's plan, plain and simple in the world, is to unite all things whether in heaven or on earth, in Christ. There's this general backdrop of Ephesians, that something has gone terribly wrong with the world, that things are currently not the way they are supposed to be. So that uh, beauty that God uh, designed in the world, um, the purposes that he had for us to walk in step with his design, we have uh, walked outside of that design. And it has... Uh, wrecked our relationship with God, it's wrecked ourselves, and it's wrecked our relationships with others. That's the backdrop of Ephesians. But what we learn is that God is at work in the world to do something about that. We, we can't fix that. We, we can't restore that ourselves. But God is at work in Jesus to unite all things in him. In other words, what God is up to in the world is he is making all things new. This is the calling with which that, that we have received, that we get to be a part of that work. We get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of God's family. We are woven together in God's story. One uh, author says it this way, God's primary call is for us to belong to and live for the flourishing of God's purpose in the world. Think about that. That's the calling that Paul has in mind, that this big thing that God is up to in the world, this restoring what is broken, making beautiful what is ugly, we uh, get to be a part of that as his children. That is the calling that we have received. We've been, uh, throughout this series, highlighting our new mission statement. We have it um, as one of the slides up on the screen. Um, Back in September, we introduced a new language to articulate our vision, our mission, and our values. And here's how we put our mission. We equip people who have diverse stories and backgrounds to embody God's story together in the everyday stuff of life. And remember, our new vision, mission, and values all comes from the, the book of Ephesians. That's why we're working through Ephesians this fall. And so the language is intentionally meant to reflect the themes of, uh, uh, of Ephesians, that we get to embody God's story together in the everyday stuff of life. And this transition here in the letter is all about this. Here's how we could describe this transition that's happening here at the beginning of chapter 4. Everything that has come before in many ways, Paul has really taught. He's laid out doctrines. Now, again, don't do with doctrine what you may have done with moral living when you first heard it. Doctrine is not bad. How doctrine is presented can be bad, but doctrine itself is beautiful because it's truth. And guess what? Truth is good and beautiful. And so for the first three chapters, Paul has done the hard work of uh, fleshing out and unpacking doctrine, truth, the, the, the big uh, themes of God's story. And now as we lift here, Patience. Ugh. Patience. I don't like to be patient. 
our culture does not uh, help us to cultivate uh, this virtue of patience. We're used to having everything immediately. And when we don't have it immediately, we freak out, don't we? We, we, we think, how can this be? You know, you're, you're going through a line um, at Home Depot. Hmm, might be something there in my heart about Home Depot. And things aren't operating the way that they should. You know, the self-checkout um, registers aren't working or you know, somebody's taking too long, or like, why didn't they figure this out before they got in line? All of these things are going through my mind. You know, I'm literally sitting there thinking, if everybody would just kind of operate like me, we, we, this could get done quickly. We think that way, don't we? This is something else, another virtue that we actually have to work toward, patience. And Paul helps us again. How do we show patience? By bearing with one another in love. You see, the, the, the patience and the love part are actually connected. Um, love is obviously separate from patience, but here in Paul's line of thinking, you can actually think of him as though he's asking the question, okay, how do we live with patience? Bearing with one another in love. And so now what Paul is doing, he's keeping us rooted in the context here. The context is community life in the church. So, what's it like for you when maybe um, things, maybe there's something in church life where it's not going as fast as you would like? Or maybe somebody in your community group is really getting on your nerves, and you, like, you know, it's an hour before community group, and you're thinking, I might not even go because uh, that person is just going to get on my nerves tonight. This is the everyday stuff of life. And so often what happens is we don't do the hard work of allowing the Spirit to cultivate these virtues in us. We take the easy road out. I'm not going to go to community group tonight because why? I just want life to be easy. I don't want to do the hard work of family life in the church. I don't want to be around other people tonight. I don't want to have to deal with other people's problems and burdens. Bearing with one another in love. Now, putting all of these together, uh, what was the first one? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Ultimately, this is a beautiful life that reflects the beauty of Jesus. How is Jesus made credible to the world? How is Jesus made beautiful to the world? It's through us, by the power of the Spirit, living out characteristics like this, seeking to put on the very character of Jesus in our lives. And immediately after this, verse 3, Paul says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, unity is a theme throughout Ephesians. This isn't going to be the last time that we talk about this. We've already hit on it in the first three chapters, just to give you an idea, just one verse from each chapter so far to highlight this theme of unity. Chapter 1, uh, it's a verse that I actually already referred to uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, chapter 1, verse 10, we, uh, God's plan is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And keep in mind, this is basically the summary statement of Ephesians. It's about unity. This is what God is doing in the world, in the person of Jesus. Everything that is 
divided, everything that is scattered, everything that is broken, everything that is fractured, God is at work through Jesus to bring it all back together. Chapter 2, verse 14, for he, that's Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two. And then finally in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is a theme throughout the letter to the Ephesians, this theme of unity. And so now what Paul is doing, let's put it all together, God is at work in Jesus to unite all things in him. Chapter, beginning now with chapter 4, begins the very practical work of how we participate in that with God. And where is it most prominently featured? Or where is it meant to most prominently be featured? In our community life together. Moving from the big picture, which we might sometimes make abstract, and making it real and practical. God's mission in the world, unite all things in Christ. Chapter 2, what is God doing? He's bringing people from diverse stories and backgrounds into one family. Chapter 3, this is actually the mystery of the gospel, that Jew and Gentile are made one. And the work that we do in the everyday stuff of life, on a daily basis, in our church life together, we are meant, according to Paul, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God is drawing us into his work in the world. And one of the most important ways that we do that is by nurturing and maintaining our unity at all costs. Why is this? Well, Israel in his sermon last week uh, got into this some. It's because by God's design, his church and the unity in the church is actually meant to be an apologetic to the world. What does that word apologetic mean? mean? It, it means that it, it helps make Jesus and the gospel more believable, more credible. And so our unity in the church is meant to, for the sake of the world, point to the fact that God is real and he's among us. That all of this stuff about the story, all of this stuff about uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it's actually all real and it gets fleshed. How can we know? How can the world know? because it's getting fleshed out among us in our community life together. Remember, again, the context, this audience to which Paul was writing. People coming from various cultural backgrounds, various ethnicities. How is this all going to work? How is this going to work in our life together at City Church? Like, what do you do when you don't share the same cultural background in common with another person, when you don't share the same race or ethnicity with another person? What if because of that, your preferences are different? How can this work? The bond of the spirit of peace. The Holy Spirit among us. The Holy Spirit does not erase our differences. God's desire is not sameness in the church. It's not uniformity. God made... uh, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. God made various cultures in order to reflect his beauty and who he is. So that the goal is not sameness, 
The goal is unity in diversity. How do we cherish our differences? How do we help uh, honor each other's uh, cultural backgrounds and traditions while also finding common ground in the gospel because of Jesus and his work by the Spirit? Zealous, Paul says. Zealous is really the word that he uses here. He says, um, eager to maintain. In other words, be zealous to do this. Make every effort to do this. At all costs, figure out how to do this. Why again? Because this is the apologetic to the world. Jesus even prayed that, as Israel pointed out last week in his high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus prayed that the church would be one so that the world would know that the Father really sent Jesus. This is a big deal. This is important. And we look around at our culture, and our culture so desperately needs what the church can bring. Our culture is so incredibly divided, so incredibly divided along the lines of race, on the lines of politics. You know, you, you pick what it is. We are divided. And because of that division, there is unbelievable hostility that, you know, is the very air that we breathe. And Paul in Ephesians is calling us as God's people to another way. Christ himself is our peace. Christ is uniting all that is broken, scattered, and divided in himself through his people. He's creating a new humanity. And we get to be a part of this. But it's difficult in the everyday stuff of life. It requires humility. It requires gentleness. It requires patience, bearing with one another in love. Let's now talk about these last uh, couple verses here, beginning with verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, over, who is over all and through all and in all. The word unity that we've already uh, come across here um, is a really unusual word. The only time that it's actually used is in Ephesians, and Paul uses it a couple times. The root of this word in the Greek is the word for one. And so let me just go back and read that last verse before the verses I read in, in light of that. Eager to maintain the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of We are to be eager to maintain oneness in our spirit. What Paul's doing here is everything that he just said, he's now rooting it in who God is. And we're going to see that. This is really cool. But also, um, we also need to understand how the New Testament works, how the Bible as a whole works, because Paul is doing this here. All right, I'm going to have to um, pull out these words that I bring up every once in a while. Some of you are going to laugh, but the indicatives and the imperatives. All right. Whenever we, we talk about this concept, I, I, I draw from these words. Um, and here's the, the, the theme of the Bible, or here's how it works. The indicatives always precede the imperatives. What that means is that before we're ever told what to do, we're always first told what God has already done for us. And because God has already acted for us on behalf of Jesus, our response to that is 
the moral living that we're called to here. But the moral living is not a pathway for us to try to earn God's favor. Rather, because we have God's favor, we want to respond to God in this way. And so Paul here, again, is rooting this. You know, I said that he was done with the theology, but I did say that we're still gonna, Paul's still going to be um, unpacking some theology for us. But Paul gives us those commands in light of the first three chapters and God's story and what God is doing in the world. But now here in these last few verses of this section, he's rooting it in deep, rich theology, specifically in who God himself is. And Paul's a ba- uh, the basis for his appeal to this oneness or this unity is this seven-hold, sevenfold confession that we have here. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one and God, one God and Father of all. There's a lot of oneness going on there, isn't, isn't there? One body, uh, the mystery of the gospel. That God in Jesus is taking Jew and Gentile, bringing them together in one family, one body. It's the unity in diversity that we've talked about. One spirit. It's the same spirit. Um, this is our commonality, our common ground as people of Jesus, that we all share the same spirit. We're going to see next week that that spirit brings out a diversity of gifts based on our diverse stories and backgrounds. But the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus that we have with us, we share in common, one hope. We've talked a lot about that hope. It's the, this, the, all the truths of this story. We all share in common this story of God. One Lord. And here's where I want to start to point something out. One Lord specifically is referring to Jesus. But what's cool about this is that there's, what's, def, what's going on here, it's definitely meant for a good Jewish reader, if they were reading this, to take them back to Deuteronomy the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Chapter 6, verse 4, we get what is referred to as the Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Paul is basically, more or less, uh, applying this to Jesus. Jesus is the one true Lord. Jesus is the one true God. And so we have the one Spirit, we have the one Lord Jesus, and then one God and Father of all. Guess what we have there? A sketch and outline of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to bring up Laura to share about what the Trinity is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're not going to go into the depths of talking about the Trinity, but we're just going to stay here with it, that God is one. But there's also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity. And so, the way that you can think about this is that God within himself is community. God is community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout the story of Scripture, even Ephesians 1, we pointed this out, I believe. Um, we said more about the Trinity there, so if you want to go back and review, you can. On, uh, the sermons are posted online. Um, but the, 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 the roles of the, the Trinity are diverse. They're different. But God still is one. And so now what Paul is doing is he's saying, okay, God is doing this incredible work in the world to bring Jew and Gentile together, to bring people from diverse stories and backgrounds into one, and it's actually meant to be a visible picture of who God is in himself, his very character. And so what we're striving to do here at City Church in in, in equipping people with diverse stories and backgrounds to embody 
uh, his story together. What we're trying to do here is at the very heart of God. We want to reflect his character for one another. Think about that. That in the everyday stuff of life, as we are living out church life together, we are meant to give those around us, those that we are in relationship to, a deeper encounter and experience of who God is. Sometimes we blow it. We blow it. What do we have to do when we blow it? We need to repent. God's grace and forgiveness is so expansive that he, we can come to him and confess our sin to him. We can confess our sins to others because we are secure in Christ. We blow it sometimes. But we have the Holy Spirit with us that we share. And so these characteristics that we talked about, um, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, you know, you might be quick to write them off. I'm not good in them. I can't do that. You have the Spirit if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus. And together we can do this by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. One baptism. That we, we have all been baptized into one family. We bring our differences. We bring our, our various cultural backgrounds. But it's one baptism. We've been baptized into one family together. One God and Father of all. It does not mean that God the Father is literally in everything that we see in creation, but it does mean that he is present everywhere. His presence is with us. You know, that's why we, are, we articulate our vision statement as we exist to fill our diverse communities with the presence of Jesus. We are meant to be the presence of Jesus to the world. All right, let's bring this to a close. Have you ever um, uh, driven on, uh, on 7th Street uh, from the west side here, over 95, uh, heading down, downtown into West Center City? Uh, there's, a, there's a bridge there, an overpass. Uh, I-95 I is underneath of that. Well, I don't, I, I don't tend to ride on that. And by the way, don't try to ride. Don't try to drive um, from West Center City on 7th Street um, this direction because you'll be going the wrong way. You don't want to do that. Um, but up, to, up until a month ago or so, it was pretty kind of a, a boring bridge. Um, nothing to see, nothing stood out. You never really even recognized that the, the bridge was there. It was just something that you drove on or drove over. Well, uh, a month ago, um, uh, some people got together, different networks, organizations, artists. It was actually led by Terrence Van. Terrence not here this morning, but his mom Terry is. Hey, Terry. Uh, Terrence was the artist that designed um, this, uh, this mural um, that we find on the bridge now. And guess what? Now when you drive uh, over the 7th Street uh, Bridge on, uh, over 95, you can't miss it. It stands out to you. You're aware of your surroundings because now it's beautiful. It's colorful. You can't miss it. it, it you you got to be careful because I, I, it looks so good that I want to you know, keep an eye on it as I'm driving. Don't do that. But it stands out to you. And guess what it says on the side uh, in big letters you can't miss? We are united. And on the other side, same thing, but in Spanish. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's beautiful especially if you know the history of I-95. Because when I-95 over a half century ago was built, it divided the city of Wilmington horribly. Some of the, the problems that we have in our city are still 
uh, can be traced back to the construction of I-95 and how it created division. And so I-95, this bridge, what, which is really a representation of division in our city in a lot of ways, is now being redeemed in a sense. Color has been added to it. And the theme of unity has been made known as people with diverse stories and backgrounds have come together to make something that was ugly beautiful. This is a picture for us of what God intends in his church. As we rub shoulders with people, as we do life in a world that is fractured, divided, broken, and ugly in so many ways, God's desire is that we would be a beautiful mural to the world, to our city, to our region. God's desire is that in big text uh, on us as his people, it would say, we are united. We are united because of the work of Jesus making us one. And our prayer, my prayer, is that we as a church, in our unity together, would make Jesus more beautiful and credible to our world that many, many others would want to get in on who Jesus is and what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, your purposes are so beautiful and grand. It can be easy, though, to just sit with them at an abstract level. We pray for the help of your spirit to live out this truth that we are learning about in Ephesians. We pray that you would help us to be your people. And I pray for us as a local church. We pray that you would grant us increasing diversity so that we might um, have a, a deeper and better experience of you in your design for creation. But I pray that in that diversity, there would be unity. And in that unity, I, I pray that we would find Jesus that it would give us a deeper love for Jesus, and that through the hard work of maintaining this unity by the power of the Spirit, that we would lean more deeply into Jesus and know him in ways that we never thought we could before. We trust that you can do this in our midst, Father. We have the Spirit. We pray for your help. For Jesus' glory, amen.